Welcome to today's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday, the 6th of January 2022, here at Colin Chance House. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me to read the articles is Moira Lowe. Our group is rather smaller at the moment due to COVID. Our engineer is John Plush and we're ably supported by the admin team led by Carol Hartle. First of all, I'd like to wish everyone a very happy new year. Let's hope that the general situation improves and that 2022 brings a happier and healthier time for everyone. I hope everyone enjoys this offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, including theatres, readers' letters, birthdays and thought for the week. Please remember that obituaries nowadays are still included, but following listeners' requests are now placed following the closing music. So, if you wish to hear them, Please stay tuned then. Don't forget that recordings are usually available as podcasts, but at present, talking books are not available on memory sticks, but rather on CDs and tape. Also, do let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR51DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone, Worcester, that 01905 or you could add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving our recordings, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. So we'll start off with birthdays. And we have three to mention. On the 6th, that's the day of this recording, Jean Edwards. And apparently, I see from my notes that Jean is 100 on that day. You're a real ton-up star, Jean. Well done. And the eighth are Valerie Martin and Sandra Clinton. A very happy birthday to all three ladies. Now, Moira will give us the thought for the week. This is from Psalm 31, verses 19 to 21. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from the intrigues of men. In your dwelling, you keep them safe from accusing tongues. 
Praise be to the Lord, for he has showed his wonderful love to me. And now some useful telephone numbers. Our telephone number here you've already been given. The police non-emergency number is 101. Crime Stoppers, 0800, treble 5, treble 1. The Worcester Hub, Worcester 765, 765. Worcester Live, that's the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall and the Henry Sandon Hall. Worcester 611427. Malvern Theatres 01684 Out of Hours Medical Services 111 and Samaritans 116123 and that's a free phone number. So now we'll have the headline articles. The first one I have is for last Friday, the last day of 2021. The headline is An Unhappy New Year. The subheading Positive Covid tests for staff force bars and restaurants to shut on one of the biggest nights of the year. Pubs and restaurants in the city have been forced to close over New Year due to some staff testing positive for Covid-19. Managers at Hanbao in Fourgate Street in Worcester and the exchange in the corn market have released statements saying they will be closed for the rest of the year because of the number of cases. However, the managers of other pubs which have experienced staff shortages because of the virus say they will reopen ready for New Year's Eve. Some pubs remain open but have been forced to close their kitchen temporarily. A spokesman for burger, burger restaurants, Han Bao, said, Due to a number of positive cases within our team, we've made the decision to close the restaurant for the rest of the year. We looked at all avenues to keep things going, but protecting our staff and customers will always be our number one priority. Our management team will reach out to everyone who has made a reservation for this week to cancel or reschedule. So long as there are no further announcements, we will be back open Wednesday, January the 5th, as normal. Watch this space. Managers of the exchange said, It is with a very heavy heart that I have to share the news that we will be closing from now until Monday. We've had a few positive cases of COVID-19 within the team that have caused severe staff shortages. But also, we want to put the welfare of our staff and customers first. We'll be closed from today, Thursday, and reopen Monday after a very deep clean of all of the pub and with our manager and remaining staff having negative COVID tests. We wish you all a very happy new year. We wish we could be spending it with you. 
Look after each other and have a great time. Stacy and the team. A spokesman for the Swan at Whittington said, "Unfortunately, we've had to make the difficult decision to close on Wednesday and Thursday. We're so sorry. Our team has been stretched too thin these past weeks. We'll see you all again on New Year's Eve." However, owner Daniel Hume at the Swan said cases were not connected to the venue itself, but to staff contracting the virus over Christmas. He said they only had a small team in the kitchen, and it only took two cases of COVID nineteen for the kitchen to close. He said our kitchen staff were working so hard over Christmas. The Swan will be fully open for New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Meanwhile, a spokesman for the Crown Inn in Main Road, Hallow, said on Wednesday, "Due to the amount of our team that we currently have isolating or off sick, we've had to make the extremely hard decision to close our kitchen for the next two days. We will remain open for drinks only, and really hope to be back fully open as soon as we can." However, the oil basin in Copenhagen Street was gearing up, ready for New Year celebrations. No entry charged. Okay, my headline is from Saturday and Sunday.、Um, tributes to fan who died after match. Tributes are poured in for an Aston Villa fan who died while driving home from a match watching his beloved team. Gordon Beatty, a Villa season ticket holder of more than forty years, died following a collision on Walsall Road in Perry Bar, Birmingham, at around eight pm on Boxing Day. West Midlands Police say that although investigations are ongoing, it is believed that sixty-nine-year-old Gordon had a medical episode and that no other vehicles were involved. Gordon was on his way home from Villa Park, where the home side had been playing Chelsea, losing three-one. Gordon had spent the last twelve years of his life living in Droitwich, enjoying retirement after a career working for West Midlands Travel. A tribute from Gordon's family was released via the police. The statement said, "Gordon Beatty sadly passed away on Boxing Day after being involved in an accident driving home from the Aston Villa versus Chelsea game. Gordon was a sick." A season ticket holder since the mid seventies, and was doing something he enjoyed. Retired for some years after a career with West Midlands Travel, he had lived the last twelve years peacefully in Droitwich, where he made a lot of new friends, but remembered his roots and friends in Birmingham too. A West Midlands police spokesman added, "Our thoughts remain with Gordon's friends and loved ones at this sad time." Hundreds of friends and well-wishers took to Facebook to share their condolences. John Gillette, chairman of the King's Winford Lions, an Aston Villa fan club, said, "Our thoughts are with Gordon's family at this very sad time." Holt Enders in the Sky King's Winford Lions send our condolences. Rest in peace. Former colleague Lennis Wayne wrote, "Gordon, we were supposed to be planning your seventieth birthday party." All your best colleagues from Congreve Street, sixth floor at Summer Lane, and garage staff in the various garages where you worked will miss you so much. Fly high, Gord, and don't get caught running late. Another well-wisher, Kath Edwards, wrote: "Take comfort in the knowledge that he was doing the thing he loved. Condolences to family and friends." 
Now the headline article from Monday, January the 3rd. They nearly blew our club up. And the strapline is hooded vandals use gas canisters to smash into club. And the article reads, Hooded teenagers broke into a cricket clubhouse, smashed windows and left gas canisters which could have blown up the club. The frustrated chairman of Worcester Cricket Club at Norton says he has reported the break-in at the clubhouse in Norton after the culprits also left a replica handgun on a table. Dormston Cook, chairman, said CCTV showed three hooded teenagers break into the cricket club and left gas canisters turned on, dented and tore down doors and smashed multiple windows. He said they smashed both kitchen windows. They tried to knock off the door. It was dented and moved off the wall. They turned on gas canisters and just left them on. We keep these in the courtyard behind locked doors, but they use the canisters to break into the building. It could have blown them up, the club up, and any houses in the vicinity of the area. It happened between 3.30pm and 4.20pm on Tuesday, December the 28th. They also left a replica handgun in the middle of a pool, the pool room. We know now that it's a replica, but we didn't know that at the time, walking into the damage. It's something that escalated recently. We're isolated where we are, and it's getting beyond a joke. Since the footbridge was put in between here and St Peter's, it's got a lot worse because it's so much easier for people to get to the place. An investigator came out and was here for two or three hours. They took fingerprints, footprints and DNA. I know that someone was paid a visit yesterday afternoon, so that might be something. We are in the process of trying to secure a £1 million funding for the club, but we keep being set back by vandalism. It's horrendous. We need more help. The police do their best, but I've been here for 30 years, and it's definitely got worse over the last few years since the footbridge was put in. It's getting more and more frustrating for us as a club. We've got good CCTV, though, so hopefully we will catch them. West Mercia Police has been contacted for a comment, but nobody was available to respond. OK, my headline is from Tuesday, January the 4th. And the headline is, Please Get Your Jabs. An unvaccinated dad of three has pleaded with people to get their COVID jabs after he narrowly escaped death. Andrew Pugh spent three weeks in intensive care and was hospitalised at Worcester Royal Hospital over Christmas after testing positive for COVID in early December. Mr Pugh was receiving 75% of his oxygen through a full face mask and struggled to eat, drink or sleep as he was connected to life-saving apparatus. 
At one point, his girlfriend received a call from the nurses to say it was 50-50 whether he would make it through the ordeal alive as his life hung in the balance. The 52-year-old said he could even hear the ventilators of other patients being turned off around him while he was on the ward, including that of a mum of two girls who sadly lost her life. Mr. Mr Pugh from Linden Road, Worcester, has now delivered a powerful plea to those who hadn't yet been vaccinated. He said, I didn't get the vaccine. I thought I was being the hero. If it wasn't for the nurses and the fact I'm a non-smoker, I wouldn't be alive. They saved my life. I want to say thank you to the staff in the ICU for giving me my second chance. It has been hard and it still is. Please, people, get your vaccinations. You don't want to end up like me. When you're dead and all your family are heartbroken, you can't turn round and say, I wish I had the vaccine. This is very real and people need to get their jabs. Mr Pugh, a bin man for Witchhaven District Council, has since been moved into the Avon ward, but remains on oxygen as he continues his recovery from long Covid. Since being admitted to hospital on December the 5th, after taking a sudden turn, he has only been allowed one visitor, with his partner of 20 years spending an hour with him on Christmas Day. His niece, Sophie Pugh, has organised a collection for the staff on the intensive care unit as a thank you for their life-saving work. Delivering the haul of goodies just two days before Christmas, she said, We managed 16 bags, three boxes, bottles of water and juice, plus a few vouchers. All of it has been donated to the intensive care unit currently caring for Andrew. They potentially saved his life. To say they were shocked was an understatement. Thank you to every single person that helped make this happen. According to latest figures, nearly two-thirds of adults in Worcestershire have had a Covid booster vaccine. Latest government figures show 64% of eligible adults have been triple jabbed in the county. Now Wednesday, January the 5th, the headline, Come back and help us, please. And this drop line, Ambulance Service appealed to former staff after record New Year's Eve. And it's classed as, and I quote, the busiest New Year ever. West Midlands Ambulance Service says New Year's Eve was the busiest ever as a desperate appeal for staff to return to help cope with Covid particularly is made. And its chief executive has revealed staff were abused on the night by some of the callers. West Midlands Ambulance Service has said the whole 12-hour period after 6pm was busy, with the Trust taking 1,281 calls between 6pm until midnight. The previous busiest year for this six-hour period was 2017-18, to 18, when they took 1,066 calls. After midnight until 6am, the Trust took 1,721 calls, the busiest since 2007-8, when it took 1,570 calls. The pressures had followed one of the busiest Christmas periods ever. I would once again pay tribute to the astonishing efforts of our staff 
who continue to work so incredibly hard, said Anthony Marsh, trust chief executive. Thousands of our staff were working while much of the UK was celebrating the start of a new year. Again, the staff in our control rooms were particularly busy. They are the front door to our service and play a vital role in triaging the calls that come in. Given what an important role they play, it's disappointing so many of them reported being abused over the phone by callers. All they are trying to do is find out as much detail about the patient as possible. It doesn't delay the arrival of an ambulance. It just means the crew are better prepared for the situation they respond to. As we move into what is traditionally the busiest period of the year for the NHS, it's more important than ever that we all play our part in using the health service responsibly. I would ask everyone to consider using 111 online in the first instance, unless it is a life-threatening emergency. We will continue to prioritise patients so that we get to those in most need first. I would also urge everyone who has not yet had their booster jab to get it as soon as possible. You'll be reducing the pressures on the NHS. Meanwhile, West Midlands Ambulance Service says despite recruiting hundreds of additional staff in its control rooms and in ambulances, it's now appealing for staff who have left to come back to help. Mr Marsh said, We are once again looking for any staff who retired within the last two years or are working in the private sector for the likes of events medical companies who would like to come back into the NHS family to get in touch. We are particularly looking for people who worked on an ambulance or in one of our control rooms to contact us. For those interested in rejoining the service, email recruitment manager Louise Jones at louise.jones at wmas, lowercase, dot nhs dot uk in the first instance, letting her know your previous role. Okay, and so we've reached today's headline. Staff don't deserve this abuse. Angry people are shouting and swearing at hard-working pharmacy staff after being told there are no lateral flow tests in stock. People are taking out their frustrations at being unable to get hold of lateral flow tests by abusing staff at Kitson's Pharmacy in Broad Street. There has been a national shortage of the tests and the issue is compounded by people thinking they have reserved tests waiting for them. However, while Kitson's is signed up to Pharmacy Collect and free LFD tests are only handed out if there is stock available. Director's assistant Jivan Sohal said, It's really unfortunate, but in a pandemic, staff are having abuse heard hurled towards them and people shouting and swearing across the whole pharmacy. We're a small premises and have queues that go out of, out through the door and people will shout straight through. Staff have been working really hard all through the pandemic and they don't deserve this. 
The pharmacy saw a dramatic increase in demand after Prime Minister Boris Johnson urged people to get tested before meeting with groups of people. Pharmacy Collects gives people a 16-digit code online for them to pick up an LFT in a pharmacy. Mr Jivan said, We're one of the biggest collection points in Worcester and just before Christmas we began really struggling to get stock. We are seeing huge volumes of people who want lateral flow tests at the moment. We're getting lots of phone calls and people coming into the pharmacy. At the moment, we are not receiving any or very few tests that they only last five minutes. But people are given the code and think it means there is a test reserved for them. But that isn't the case, unfortunately. We're seeing a lot of anger and abuse to staff at the counter and over the telephone. At the start of the pandemic, people were really grateful pharmacies were still open, but that's changed really from the summer onwards. There seems to be more irritability and people get annoyed quickly, then some become abusive. A Yuki HSA spokesman said, The UK's testing programme is the biggest in Europe, with over 400 million tests carried out since the start of the pandemic. We are delivering record numbers of lateral flow tests to pharmacies across the country, with nearly 8 million test kits being made available to pharmacies this week. So that was um, from January the 3rd onwards. If you have not been able to get the test you need from gov.uk, please keep checking every few hours as more PCR and LFD tests become available every day. Right, now for a sports article. Quite often we hear about the successes or otherwise of Worcester Warriors. But this one is about the young warriors. The headline for it is Youth Prevails. Young Warriors side hold off Gloucester to maintain their 100% record in Premiership Rugby Cup. Worcester Warriors, youngsters, resisted a late Gloucester comeback to make it two wins from two in their Premiership Rugby Cup Pool 1 clash in front of a packed-out crowd at Six Ways on Wednesday night. Warriors had led 24-7, with five minutes to play, before Seb Blake and winger Alex Morgan crossed to give the Cherry and Whites late hope at 24-21. But Billy Searle knocked over a penalty late on to secure the win and make it 10 points from 10 for the home side in this year's competition. Gloucester led early on through Tom Brooks Seabrook's try before Wastit Warriors hit back in the first half with tries from Justin Clegg and Kai Owen, which were added to after the break by Jack Johnson and Lewis Holsey. 9,583 people watched from the stands on what was an unexpectedly warm evening in Worcester, but it was the Gloucester fans who were cheering after just five minutes when centre Seabrook finished in the corner following a decisive line break from Georgian Giori Kvelatska. Worcester were under the cosh early on, but started to get a foothold in the game, 
particularly up front as the Gloucester pack struggled physically. Then, after about an hour, the hosts did get on the board as a lovely line break from the winger Jack Johnson got Worcester in behind the Gloucester defence before Justin Clegg finished brilliantly in the corner despite plenty of attention from a number of defenders. Penalties were costing the visitors and eventually referee Neil Chivers lost his patience and Kvitslatska was sent to the bin. Worcester took advantage of the extra man just before the break as a driving maul in the corner rumbled over the line, with prop Kai Owen getting the congratulations. Searle missed both conversions, meaning it was just a three-point lead at half-time with the scores at 10-7. Warriors started as they ended the half, on the front foot and continuing to dominate up front. The home side were consistently making yards into the Gloucester 22 and with 50 minutes on the clock, they once more made the most of the opportunity and the ball found its way to winger Johnson after a period of sustained pressure in from the winger to touch down. Plenty of changes were made in the second half as both sides continued to hand debuts to young players and much-needed minutes for those returning from injury. The bonus point then came when replacement prop Halsey slid over thanks to another successful driving maul. The visitors finally got themselves some field position in the Worcester 22 and they used the driving wall to force substitute Blake over the line. Just a minute later and Gloucester were within three as Alex Morgan surged through the midfield to go in under the posts. Barton converted to make it 24-21 but Searle wrapped things up with a penalty to seal the final result. And we'll now have a look at some of the letters from readers of the Worcester News. So I'll kick off from Friday, December the 31st, the letters which ended the year. A&E line is pure spin by our MP. And this is from Councillor Lynn Denham, who is Labour Councillor for the Cathedral Ward. Dear Editor, oh dear, I fear Worcester's MP has now been totally captured by the toxic culture of the Boris Johnson government. Robin Walker's press release regarding the expansion of Worcester's emergency department is nothing but political spin. That was December the 27, A&E reverses change. For the information of your readers, a Labour government had nothing to do with the downgrading of Kidderminster Hospital. It was a painful operational decision that had to be made by hospital management due to clinical safety. The facts are that without the Labour government of 1997, our hospital services in Worcester would still be split between the old military buildings at Ronxwood and the historic Castle Street site. 
The business case for investing in a new hospital and clinically safe services was made multiple times. However, the Conservative administrations of Thatcher and Major didn't want to invest in our NHS. The new hospital was long in the planning and finally delivered by a Labour government. It was a hospital for South Worcestershire and for predicted health needs at that time. I was there and part of the team that designed the pharmacy department. Of course, there have been changes over the 25 years since. Technology and treatments are continually evolving and services are now being provided for a bigger catchment area. Our NHS services today would be a considerably better state if Conservative governments since 2010 had cared more. I presume that Robin Walker MP dutifully voted for the massive wasteful NHS reorganisation, which has now been largely reversed and voted to cut fundings for student nurses. I'm sure others share my disappointment that our so-called One Nation Tory MP has been reduced to peddling fake news. And the shorter letter that follows that from a Mrs Garner of St John's. Dear editor, Robin Walker has surpassed himself this time, blaming the Labour government for their actions some 21 years ago. Why didn't he lobby to have the decision reversed as soon as the Conservatives came to power 11 years ago? Oh, I forgot. They were busy downgrading the NHS, cutting staff, cutting numbers in the police, privatising the probation service. Need I go on? Now they state they are putting loads of money into these services. It's just making up for the havoc this government has caused. They take the electorate for fools. Note their recent behaviour. Mr Walker never rebels in the House, but toes the line. Perhaps in 2022, he'll consider his constituents more and his career less. On a lighter note, um, this is a letter from Pat Wells, nay Armishaw, dear editor. I was thrilled to see the feature on Ladies of Worcester Porcelain Royal Approval for Beautiful Porcelain on December the 29th. I joined the flower making department as a teenager in the early 1960s and worked on the Dorothy Doherty bird figurines making tiny flowers. If I'm not mistaken, the plant she has in the picture in the hogweed, sorry, is the hogweed, which had a white throat bird on it. This flower gave me so many headaches as it had a large head with many parts and took quite a while to assemble. And having assembled it, you had to leave it in a rest mould to dry out. I used to put one together and leave overnight to dry, only to find the temperature had fluctuated in the night and the flowers in many pieces that could not be reassembled. As I was on piecework rates, this was a huge loss. The department was really enjoyable to work in. I made lots of friends whom I have long since lost contact with. There was also a photo of the Victorian tea party, which I made the bows on the standing lady, small girl and the little dog, very fiddly. I was so sad when the porcelain closed, although I had quite, although I had left quite a long time before, but worked for another small business in Malvern, still making flowers, but they have since gone. 
I still sometimes use the skills taught to me to make icing sugar flowers for cakes, but age is catching up with me. But I must buy that book. And my other letter is from Mary James. Dear Editor, Thank you to all the generous people in Worcester who contributed to this year's St Barnabas Church Christmas Appeal for Shoeboxes containing gifts for people in St Paul's Hostel and users of Bags Day Centre. The donors included churches, Regency High School, residents associations, guides and many friends. We collected many boxes which were all beautifully decorated and contained a lovely array of gifts. They were blessed in St Barnabas Church and distributed to St Paul's Hostel and Mag's Day Centre to be given out on Christmas Day. Thank you again to all the wonderful people who have thought of those less fortunate than themselves. And my letter page is now, Where are the bridge users? Dear editor, says John Reynolds of St John's, What a big shock I had on January the 1st, 2022. I actually saw four people walking over the million-pound footbridge on the Poic Island. I nearly fell off my bike. Is this a pointer to the future? Will it mean even more people using the bridge? Who knows? By January the 1st, 2023, there may be eight people swarming over it, or then again, there might not be. You can count more pigs in the sky than pedestrians on the line of new, extortionately expensive footbridges. Excellent use of our money by the council. I'm sure you'll agree. And the second letter is from John Harkup, who I believe is a former local GP and also an expert in local history. Dear Editor, the excellent double-page spread by Peter Smith on Lewis and Tolkien was very illuminating. I can add more detail about that fateful weekend when a very depressed Tolkien came to stay with his friend George Sayer, head of English at Malvern College. Tolkien was threatening to burn his latest manuscript as he couldn't find a publisher and thought it wasn't good enough. George Sayer's widow told me that her husband read the work and thought it had merit. As Peter Smith recalls, he recorded Tolkien reading part of it, and on hearing the replay, Tolkien was persuaded it was worth keeping. Do you know anyone who would publish it? he asked. Well, we have a boy in the school named Unwin, George replied. Thus, a Malvern schoolteacher saved the Lord of the Rings from destruction. Okay, and my last letter um, is from Jennifer White of PETA UK. Dear Editor, if you could save 200 animals in 2022 and help heal the planet too, would you do it? Well, every single one of us can by eating vegan. Going plant-based prevents animals from enduring miserable lives and violent, terrifying deaths. 
especially the environment, and slashes your risk of suffering from cancer, diabetes, heart disease and strokes. Fortunately, ditching meat, eggs and dairy has never been easier. Gone are the days of soaking mung beans for hours. Quick, satisfying vegan options are plentiful in supermarkets, restaurants and takeaways. From plant-based eggs to vegan meat, dairy-free cheese and ice cream. The choice is huge and growing by the day. Petra offers a free vegan starter kit and 30-day January vegan challenge to support you with top tips and easy recipes. Need more motivation? The documentary Earthlings, narrated by Petra champion Joaquin Phoenix, can be viewed online for free. Eating vegan is a compassionate choice that stops suffering and can boost your health. Now that's a New Year resolution to keep. Okay. Time to continue? Yes, please. Off to you, Mum. Off you go. Right then, so is it? It's me again. All right. And now for some of the articles from the last week. And I'm starting off with tributes to former head. Tributes have been paid to a popular, firm but fair former headmaster of Elgar High School who has died. Michael Powell died aged 90. The devoted educator, affectionately known as Mick to family and friends, and Mike to his wife Vanda, died peacefully in his sleep after a four-year battle with Alzheimer's. His daughter Sasha said that former students had told the family he was remembered for liking to pace round the school in his nice shoes with a bouncy walk and hands behind his back. He taught at Nunnery Wood High School from 1956 to 1967 and went on to become the deputy headmaster at Samuel Southall School and later the headmaster. Samuel Southall merged with Purdiswell School in 1983 to form Elgar High School, where Michael remained headmaster until he retired in 1993. Michael was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2018 and moved to the Norton Care Home in October 2021. Michael was born on May 31, 1931 at 28 Cypress Street, Barbourne, Worcester, where he lived with his mother, Eva Valentine, and his father, Charles Bertram, and younger brother, Robin. He attended the Royal Grammar School in Worcester and went on to receive a scholarship for Oxford University to study history, gaining his master's degree in 1952. Michael completed his national service in the Royal Navy, where he spent the majority of his time situated in Malta. He completed his teacher training in Saltley, Birmingham, and worked in Wisbeach, running the language school from 1959 to 61. He spoke several, several modern languages. Michael met his wife, Vanda, who was from former Yugoslavia, when she came over in the first batch of students from Belgrade University to improve her spoken English, and they married in 1961. The couple welcomed their son, Goran, in 1965, and their daughter, Sasha, in 1967. 
After retirement, he remained a member of the Historical Association, attended language refresher courses, and enjoyed working with computers and proofreading digitized obscure texts for Project Gutenberg. Michael also enjoyed regularly kayaking on the River Severn right up until he fell ill in 2018. He survived by his devoted wife, Vanda, and his two children, four grandchildren and his brother, Robin. The funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, January the 10th at 1pm with donations to the Alzheimer's Society being collected at the service or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. Controversial plans have been handed in for a permanent 10-pitch traveller's site near the Ketch roundabout in Worcester. The proposed scheme, submitted to planners in Worcester City Council in December, involves a change of land use to allow pitches for caravans south of Broomhall Way, Worcester. However, critics of the scheme, including the chairman of the parish council, argued that a site there would be dangerous because of access directly onto a dual carriageway, the A4440 Broomhall Way, the Southern Link Road. As reported in February of last year, signs had previously appeared at the site saying proposed travellers' site, but Worcester City Council at the time dismissed the claim, having ruled the development would be unsafe. The scheme was rejected on the last occasion because access to and from the A4440 was considered unsafe after a detailed appraisal. Speaking about the new application, Worcester City Councillor Steve McKay said he did not have a problem with an application for a traveller's site, but added, I think it's right to say it would not be a suitable place for the site, purely because of the traffic situation as much as anything else. He also said there had been a number of accidents there over the years and that was before they opened the road into three lanes. Alan Tucker, chairman of St Peter's Parish Council, said the council had objected to the plans in the strongest possible terms. He said the primary issue was one of safety because of entrance and exit onto a busy dual carriageway with a 60 mile per hour speed limit. It's ludicrous, he said. No other site on the road has been allowed an entry or exit onto the Southern Link Road. We consider that it is extremely dangerous, he said. The Parish Council has not yet been made aware of a date when the application will be decided by the Planning Committee. Mr Tucker expects members of the Parish Council and County Council to be represented at that meeting and some residents who also object to attend. Mr Tucker has also raised concerns about noise and pollution at the narrow site, arguing that it was unsuitable for residential use. Further to this, he said the Parish Council believed there was not safe and adequate amenities to serve the site and that it would impose on the Green Belt to the southwest. He understands that the land is also contaminated but said this needs to be confirmed. Malvern Hills, Worcester and Witchhaven councils need to provide 67 traveller pitches by 2030 to meet demand. Documents online show that the application would also include an ancillary day room for each pitch, plus associated access parking, landscaping, engineering and infrastructure works. Students sing out to help hospice. 
Students from a Worcester high school visited a hospice to sing carols to patients, families and staff. The Nunnery Wood High School's choir performed a range of festive tunes in the gardens of St Richard's Hospice last week. The musical visit formed part of the school's ongoing support for the county hospice, which has seen pupils and staff raise thousands in recent years. Victoria Owen, charity coordinator at Nunnery Wood, said, At Nunnery Wood High School, we have strong values that bind our community together. Part of this is encouraging our students to have compassion in their hearts for others and understanding what it means to be charitable. We're excited to be supporting St Richard's Hospice and working with the fundraising team to plan more exciting events next year. The school has supported the hospice in a variety of ways and has chosen St Richard's as its Charity of the Year for 2021-2. Fundraising activities in 2021 have included entering participants into the hospice's Santa Dash, a pre-love to re-love prom dress scheme, which saw students hire prom dresses and suits for a donation of £15, and a Christmas jumper non-uniform day, which saw students swap their uniform for their most festive Christmassy jumper or non-uniform on the last day of term. Design and technology students also made items to sell for donations and pupils held a stall at the hospice's festival lunch earlier this month, raising more than £400 from this event alone. Rhea Simmons, fundraiser at St Richard's, said, It was such a treat to listen to the choir and it certainly brought festive cheer to those staff, patients and families who were able to watch. The students and staff have put so much effort into raising funds for our care. We're very impressed with their creativity and enthusiasm and are grateful for all the hard work this year. It's only thanks to the support of these amazing students and staff and others like them raising funds for our care that we can continue to be there for patients and their loved ones when they need us most. We look forward to working with Nunnery Wood High School in 2022. And the second related article, shoppers donated 14,000 meals worth of food. Generous Tesco shoppers in Worcestershire have been thanked after donating more than 14,000 meals worth of food to help charities feed people during Christmas and the winter months. During the twice-yearly Tesco food collection, which ran in all Tesco stores in the UK in November, customers were asked to donate long-life food to support Fair Share and the Trussell Trust. Stores across the UK reported that customers had given the highest volume of food donations to support local charities since the start of the pandemic providing 1.57 million meals during the campaign, with shoppers in the Worcestershire donating 14,720 meals. The donations will help food banks in the Trussell Trust's network provide emergency parcels and help fair share supply thousands of frontline charities.
Tesco has once again topped up all customer donations with a 20% cash donation to the two charities. Simone Connolly, director at Fair Share Midlands, said, The food collection is so important to Fair Share because donations of long-life items mean we are able to complement the fresh food that we receive year-round from Tesco with staples like rice, tinned vegetables and tea and coffee, she said. Thank you to every single Tesco customer who donated to the food collection this year. Your generous donations will help us to continue supporting local charities and community groups that are helping to feed people in need this winter. Worcester households recorded their largest rise in electricity consumption in eight years in 2020, figures show, as Covid forced people to spend more time at home. The figures come at a time of rising energy prices, driven by a spike in the cost of gas, with energy bills predicted to double this year. Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy figures show 164 gigawatt hours of electricity were consumed by domestic meters in Worcester in 2020. This was a 5% rise on the 156 gigawatt consumed the year before and the largest change since comparable records began in 2012. Across Great Britain, electricity used by homes rose by 5.6% in 2020. But while people spent more time at home, lockdowns forced many businesses to close, with non-domestic consumption dropping by 11.1%. It means overall electricity use dropped by 4.8%, the largest year-on-year -year fall on record. Fears have been raised about the soaring cost of energy bills, driven by rising gas prices, as work-from-home advice has been reintroduced throughout the UK. The disruption has been bankrupting suppliers since September, costing consumers £4 billion. Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves called on the government to remove VAT on domestic gas and electricity bills through the winter months to help families weather the storm. Ms Reeves said, Right now, people are being hit by a cost-of-living crisis, which has seen energy bills soar, food costs increase and the weekly budget stretched. We need a sustainable and ambitious approach to energy, which is why Labour would also ramp up ambition with our plan to retrofit 19 million homes, making our energy supply chain more secure without hitting household savings. Labour said new figures from the House of Commons Library show that rising energy, food and other bills meant the Treasury is expected to have an extra £3.1 billion in VAT receipts this year, which it could use to fund the energy bill VAT cut. However, the government said VAT receipts were forecast to be below pre-COVID levels, with a loss of £2 billion compared to directly before the pandemic. The Business Secretary met with energy companies and regulator Ofgem after Christmas to discuss how to deal with soaring gas and electricity prices. A government spokesman said... Throughout the meeting, there was discussion of the issues facing this sector and an agreement for meetings to continue over the coming days and weeks to ensure UK consumers are protected. 
They added vulnerable households were being supported by initiatives such as the Warm Home Discount, which has been extended to cover an extra 750,000 homes, as well as winter fuel payments and cold weather payments. And now not unrelated, shortage of PCR tests because Omicron and COVID enters, I think, every aspect of our lives at the moment. There were temporarily no PCR tests available across Worcester for a second day as demand soars following a wave of Omicron cases. And this article is from last Friday, the last day of 2021. However, people in Worcester were still able to get tested at the drive through centre at County Hall in Worcester yesterday and a limited number of slots opened up in the afternoon in the West Midlands, despite initial shortages. However, by 1pm, tests were once more listed as non-available after online slots were quickly snapped up. Queues of cars were visible at the test centre as the country was hit by a second day of shortages of PCR tests, according to the UK government's own test website. The website once again listed non-available for PCR tests, either for home tests or at drive-in centres across England, including in the West Midlands this morning. However, Robin Walker, MP for Worcester, was assured that more slots would open up that same day. More did become available, with the message, very few available, listed for the region on the government website. However, within a short time, the website once again displayed the non-available message. This followed a similar pattern on Wednesday about PCR tests. They were listed on the website as non-available before slots became available later in the afternoon. Mr Walker said, I recognise the enormous importance of testing, both for reassurance and for identifying cases of the Omicron variant. I want to make sure as many tests as possible are available to my constituents. I've raised any local issues of availability with the Department of Health. I'm reassured they've increased the overall supply and will continue to do so. Mr Walker sought assurances from colleagues in health that despite the high demand, slots would become available as soon as possible. He said the government had also doubled the orders of lateral flow tests and, as school ministers, he was keen to ensure they were available across schools and colleges in the constituency. Mr Walker said, We have arranged a testing on return programme for secondary schools, which should help. Although lateral flow tests are not currently available to order, you can pick them up in person from various locations. These include local pharmacies, COVID testing centres, nursery or childcare provider, schools, colleges and universities and some workplaces. Worried residents are trying to free a trapped pigeon from a disused Worcester store. The campaign to free the boxed-in bird was launched on social media after passers-by had noticed it had been behind the glass of what was formerly Arry Mobile Repairs in Angel Street for over two months. Concerned locals say the RSPCA had logged the incident, but action is yet to be taken to release the bird, with concerns growing over its welfare. 
In the meantime, people have been pushing food and water through a gap in the door to help the lonesome pigeon stay healthy while he remains locked up. Lara Sism specialises in pigeon and dove rehabilitation for Help Wildlife, a charity providing advice about sick or injured fauna. She's been leading the campaign alongside a group of worried animal lovers to help free the pigeon. She said, We're stuck for what to do at the moment, to be honest. We've spoken to numerous authorities and they're all just pointing at each other. The fire service has said it can't do anything until they're actioned by the RSPCA and neither can the police. We've had comments from a trustee of the RSPCA on Facebook saying, look, this isn't something we should have to deal with. And yes, we understand the RSPCA are overworked and bombarded, but at the same time, all animals matter. Pigeons have the same rights as any other animal under the Wildlife and Countryside Act. Yes, it's just one pigeon, but really it's thousands of pigeons which are being trapped because of buildings not being maintained and councils not issuing landlords with an obligation to keep their buildings up to date. Miss Sizem says the RSPCA and police did respond to a similar incident in the Gloucester Toys R Us when multiple pigeons were released from the store last year. She's now called for clarity on what the Rescue Society is willing to deal with. As the general public, we can't do anything without authority, so we need a member of authority to help us access the building. We've contacted the landlord, and to be honest, the response we've had is they aren't willing to travel down and let the poor thing out. WJ Daniel and Company Limited, which owns the site, has said, while there isn't anyone available from management until the new year, it is currently searching for a keyholder. An RSPCA spokesman said, We are concerned to hear that a pigeon may be trapped in this building. And an RSPCA officer attended the location this morning, that was Monday, January the 3rd. Although no birds were visible at the time, we have contacted the shop's previous owner to see if they will allow us access. Now, the update is that the pigeon has now been rescued. So all ended well. Well, you may remember that I like the historical items about the locality, and this is no exception. This is from last Saturday, New Year's Day, and it's entitled, Come in, sit down and be our guest done. And it proves that a New Year's knees up is nothing new. Six centuries later, it might seem unlikely, but back in the 1500s, the best New Year's Eve party in town took place in Worcester Cathedral Priory. <laughs> the last of the priors, William Moore, reigned over a religious community whose strict rules of life had relaxed to the extent that the jovial monks had come to understand very well the good things in life. They kept a small army of cooks and kitchen menials and no expense was spared when it came to filling their tables with the richest food. The church was a grand landlord and most of its county tenants paid in game, venison or rabbits by the hundred. At the time, Worcester was a very important and fortified city 
having the only bridge across the Severn between Gloucester and Bridgenorth, so was used to welcoming many distinguished travellers. Hospitality abounded, and the Priory was at the centre of it, especially from Christmas Eve to New Year, when there were decorations of holly and ivy, but no mistletoe, because that was associated with heathenism. The roistering began after Evensong on Christmas night when the prior and his brethren welcomed the city bailiff and his corporation dressed in scarlet gowns to a grand feast in the priory's Geston Hall, which had been built in 1320 for the monks to entertain visitors and guests. The tables groaned under the weight of boars' heads. Numerous dishes of venison, game, dumplings, peacock, pie and the like. Also served were oranges, then a costly imported delicacy. The food was accompanied by eight or nine varieties of sticky ales or wines, some so thick the guests filtered them through their teeth, which must have done the enamel on their teeth a whole pile of good, I think. Should any important lady be staying at the Priory, not an uncommon event on the only road into Wales, a special dish of wafers or sweetmeats was prepared by the Prior's cook. While there was a dish of mince pies for ye boys, presumably the cathedral choristers, any leftovers or culinary failures were quietly conveyed to the occupants of the city prison which adjoined the priory. According to historian John Noak, the festivities continued right merrily until the new year, when on New Year's Eve there was another elaborate feast in the Geston Hall, the excuse, if any were needed, being because the quantity of the prior's gifts from his tenants had been so great it was necessary to consume them forthwith before they went off. Among the gifts he received were a hundred couple of rabbits from Hennick, deer from Battenhall, herons and peacocks from Hallow, pigeons from Crowell and rooks from the Packington estate at Hampton Lovett. However, the great days of monastic feasting were drawing to a close as the dubious habits of the monks led to the great religious houses falling into decadence. The storm of the dissolution, which eventually saw the priory dissolved in 1540, was gathering pace. But canny old prior Moore saw it coming. He retired to his manor at Crowell in 1535 and a rather quieter life. <laughs> right, a little bit of change in tone again now. A drug dealer involved in a conspiracy to supply crack cocaine and heroin into Worcester would only come into the courtroom if his mum came with him and sat beside him. Jacob Seeley was one of a number of dealers involved in a conspiracy to supply Class A drugs into the city as part of a county line's drug dealing business running out of Coventry. 
the 23-year-old of Marchway, Coventry, appeared at Worcester Crown Court yesterday, so that was Tuesday, and was permitted to sit at the back of court with his mum rather than in the dock following a request of his advocate. Ordinarily, the families of defendants are expected to sit in the public gallery above the court and defendants have to answer charges from the dock. However, exceptions can be made depending on the circumstances of the case and at the judge's discretion. Paul Williams, defending, said, Seely's family wished to apologise for being late for the hearing. He assured the judge they were only two minutes away. After he had confirmed his name, the two indictments were put to Seely. The defendant admitted being in possession of heroin, a Class A drug, with intent to supply on February 1st, 2017. On the second indictment, he admitted conspiracy to supply crack cocaine and heroin between 2018, July the 12th, and 2018, July the 24th. Celia and others were arrested as part of a county lines investigation into the CJ line by West Mercy Police after they received intelligence that dealers were using the travel lodge in Worcester as a base. His co-defendants were sentenced last year, having all pleaded guilty. Celia had previously maintained a not guilty plea. However, he entered guilty pleas at the short hearing on Tuesday. Before Christmas, we reported how another dealer, Robert Leeds, was jailed for four years for another unrelated county lines operation to supply drugs in the city, which also made use of Worcester's hotels, including the Premier Inn in New Road. Leeds was part of a gang that had also supplied Class A drugs, but because of his denials, he could not be sentenced at the same time as the other gang members. Leeds, 30 of Ipstons Avenue, Stetchford, who claimed he was a homeless addict, not a dealer, was convicted by a jury for being concerned in the supply of crack cocaine, possession of a bladed article and possession with intent to supply both crack cocaine and heroin last month. In Seeley's case, a pre-sentence report will need to be prepared by the probation service before he's sentenced on February the 10th. Seeley will be sentenced by Judge James Burbridge QC, who has previous knowledge of the case. Judge Nicholas Cartwright, who heard the case on Tuesday, said, I will direct that a pre-sentence report should be prepared. I will make it a condition of his bail that he must cooperate with the probation service in the preparation of such a report. He must understand the fact I'm adjourning, giving him bail and ordering the report is not to be taken as any sort of indication or promise of what the sentence will be. My next article is entitled Honours in the County. The extraordinary achievements of people from across Worcestershire have been recognised in the Queen's New Year's Honours list. Zul Kifl Ahmed received an MBE for services to education and to young people. The 32-year-old from Walsall now works as a special educational needs and disability group manager for Worcestershire County Council. Among his many achievements, Mr Ahmed expertly led Sandwell's statutory special educational needs and disability, SEND, services through the period of a written statement of action to an exceptional 100% resolution of serious weaknesses in just two years. 
He's now playing a part in Worcestershire County Council's improvement programme. Following his appointment, there was a 61.7% reduction in complaints from parents and a 41% improvement in producing EHC plans in 20 weeks. Patricia Ann Court from Worcester has received a medalist of the Order of the British Empire, BEM, for services to the community in Staffordshire. Each year, the Queen recognises the extraordinary achievements of people from all walks of life and all ages within our communities. In addition to these people who really make a difference to the lives of those round them, this year's list includes special mention of those who have continued to go above and beyond in supporting each other during the COVID-19 pandemic. The Lord Lieutenant of the West Midlands, John Crabtree OBE, said, Making up the fabric of the West Midlands are some amazing people who work hard to deliver a better, brighter and kinder place. These people with big hearts are often known within their neighbourhoods but fail to gain the wider credit they deserve, particularly during the challenging Covid crisis. This year's recipients showcase a range of outstanding achievements and provide an insight into the region and the people that make it so great. We are all very grateful for what they do each and every day. I am absolutely delighted to see so many gain the recognition they deserve in the New Year's honours. The individual honours are announced twice a year to mark the Queen's official birthday in June and at the end of December, the New Year's honours. Okay. The world's only Esperamanza is back again with 15 predictions of what 2020 has in store. Former Evesham resident Jemima Packington is globally recognised as the woman who throws asparagus to predict the future. Boris Johnson, Covid and the Royal Family all make appearances in Jemima's latest predictions. Without further ado, here is what 2022 has in store according to the Asparagus Spears. 1. Despite all the bad press, Boris Johnson will prevail as Prime Minister. 2. Covid and all its variants will be with us forever, but everyone will learn to adapt and not let it get the better of us. 3. A brand new way of living will become the norm, working from home, etc. But people will no longer accept shoddy services hiding behind the guise of the pandemic. 4. Entertainment and sports venues will find ways to progress whilst keeping everyone safe. 5. More sadness for the royal family, scandals and worse. 6. We will be shocked at the news of the unexpected demise of some showbiz legends. 7. A review of the nation's educational standards structure will be carried out to ensure no child is left behind. More emphasis on vocational qualifications will be introduced. 8. A return to times when foreign travel was an exotic luxury will be experienced. It will no longer be a regular occurrence. Travel prices will reflect this. 9. The British economy will rally and it will become a 
beacon of achievement amongst those countries unable to get to grips with their own economies. 10. Tense times will continue on the international front, but conflicts will be avoided. 11. Adaptability will become the byword in the leisure and service industries. They will embrace the change in people's habits and will survive stronger than ever. 12. Sakia Starmer will not continue as leader of the Labour Party in a shock twist. 13. Sadly, climate change will continue and fewer countries will be active in its reversal. 14. Recycling and upcycling will be the new fashion. There will be less waste of any sort and barter will become a new trend. And 15. Agriculture will progress well, especially the growing of our wonderful asparagus. Well, who'd have thought it? I haven't got any asparagus. I wonder if broccoli would have the same (laughs) success. Try it. And now a rather unnerving article. Family heartbreak at attack on pet cat. A heartbroken owner is warning other cat owners after her beloved family pet returned home blood-soaked after someone tried to hack its tail off. Owner Megan Haynes does not want other cats to suffer the same fate after vets told her they believe the horrific injuries were caused intentionally. The family has only just moved to Dunster Close in Warnden Villages and on Thursday morning, December the 30th, was the first time Alan, the cat, had been allowed out. He returned home 50 minutes later, covered in blood with his tail hanging by a thread. Fortunately, vets at Seven Veterinary Section at Barclay Way managed to save the 12-year-old cat's tail and he's now recovering at home. Miss Haynes, aged 24, said, Anger is an understatement of how me and my family are feeling. When he came back in the house, covered in blood, we were just in shock. The idea that someone has done this to him has left us all over the place, to be honest. Once the anger stopped, I started getting upset that anyone could have hurt Alan. He's so inoffensive and loving. We rescued him ten years ago, and from a bad start, he's still such a loving cat. It breaks my heart to see how he has changed. He's more wary of us, he's still a little bit nervous, and is in quite a lot of pain. Vets perform surgery on Alan to stitch his tail back on. He's been given medication to ease the pain, as well as a comb. It's expected he would be left with nerve damage. The family had no idea who might have hurt their cat and have been visited by police officers after reporting the injuries. We only moved here last week and Alan went out for the first time on Thursday morning around 7am. When he returned 50 minutes later, we found blood covering his back and tail. Once taken to the vet, we found his tail was hanging on by a thread. After staying in overnight in preparation for surgery on his tail, the vet has rung us and informed us that someone had gone out of their way to purposely cut his tail off. We rang the police, not even because he is our cat, but because of the fact someone was walking around at that time with a weapon. Alan is now recovering at home. His family says beginning to improve. I'm quite surprised, but happy he is not as scared as he was. 
When he first came back, he wouldn't come near us. He's still a little bit nervous, but he could have been a lot worse. I'm just grateful he is home. Anyone with information is asked to call police on 101. It's unbelievable, isn't it? But I have to say, Alan is a great name for a cat. It is. I think it's wonderful. Okay, um, Worcester Cathedral's iconic tower is set to reopen this year after a long hiatus. Both the tower and cathedral were closed to visitors in 2020 after the UK entered its first COVID-enforced lockdown. However, during its initial closure, staff noticed some unexpected guests had sought refuge in the tower's heights. Peregrine falcons, a protected species, had set up their nest in Worcester's skyline, meaning when the cathedral reopened in May 2020, the tower had to remain closed. While the falcons did eventually vacate the cathedral towards the end of the year, a further spike in COVID cases, combined with minor repairs work, meant staff decided to keep the tower off limits until they worked out a safe way for visitors to once again enjoy the tower's history with a side of spectacular views. Almost two years on, the cathedral has announced groups will once again be able to climb the tower steps from February and it is now seeking volunteer tower guides to make that possible. A spokesman for Worcester Cathedral said the tower had to close along with the rest of the cathedral during the first lockdown. During the closure, we discovered peregrine falcons nesting in the tower, a protected species, and the tower remained closed when the rest of the cathedral was allowed to reopen in May 2020, as they could not be disturbed. The peregrines flew towards the end of the year, but due to rising COVID cases, we decided to keep the tower closed while we re-evaluated the way in which visitors could access the space. We're hoping to reopen the tower for guided tours in February and are currently recruiting for volunteer tower guides. When the tours do start, they will take a new format, with a change to how we manage the number of people going up and coming down. Tours will be in groups of up to 10, led by a guide using sanitised headsets. Only one group will go up at a time, which will also allow us to ensure social distancing can be adhered to and there will be no crossovers on the way up or down. We will, of course, adhere to government guidance at the time of reopening. The Cathedral Tower dominates Worcester skyline and has become synonymous with the city. The current tower was completed in 1374 and is the cathedral's third, the first one collapsing in 1175 and the second one having to be dismantled as it was unsafe. All of the internal stonework is 14th century in date, but the exterior was refaced in the 19th century as part of the Victorian Restoration. During the Civil War in 1651, it was said the future King Charles II viewed the Battle of Worcester from the top of the tower. And now an article about a very brave little girl, headed Grace 2 Fights Cancer. Almost £6,000 has been raised for a two-year-old girl from Inkbarrow battling a rare liver cancer. Grace Millwood only turned two in November, but she has this week started the fourth cycle of chemotherapy, having been diagnosed with a hepatoblastoma earlier this year. Grace visited the GP on October the 25th, her mother's birthday, who immediately referred to Worcestershire Royal Hospital, where she had an MRI and blood tests, which revealed the tumour. 
Mum, Louise Millwood, said, Our whole world came crashing down. We questioned why us, why our daughter, and of course how. I was hoping they'd simply made a mistake and it was something else. The whole situation felt surreal. Grace was taken then to Birmingham Children's Hospital, where the oncology team carried out further investigations and a biopsy to confirm that it was a hepatoblastoma diagnosed in fewer than one in a million children. She began chemotherapy on November the 17th, and Mum Louise couldn't be proud of how her daughter has dealt with the situation. She added, She's been so brave. I can't imagine what she was feeling when we first came into hospital, with so many doctors and nurses touching, feeling and being round her. She calls her central line Wiggles and her NG tube Tuby. She likes to help with flushing her NG tube with water. Grace has suffered sickness as a result of chemotherapy, with the fourth cycle beginning on Wednesday, December the 29th, and the next step will be surgery, which will be either a liver resection or transplant. Louise set up a GoFundMe to raise £200 for a new car seat to make the journey to treatment more comfortable for Grace, a target that was quickly beaten. She said, within a few hours that goal was reached. We were overwhelmed with the support from friends and family. Never did we think we would raise so much. This has all been for our daughter. When Grace is better, we're going to take her to visit CBB's land, book a family holiday so she can visit the beach, and also take her to the zoo as she loves animals. Plans for a proposed three-storey house to be built in London Road have been met with widespread opposition by people living nearby. The proposed new dwelling will be built adjacent to the busy Worcester Road, prompting concerns about potential congestion during construction. The applications submitted to Worcester City Council show the house will be built into the bank on the opposite side of the road, but not far from the turning to Foxwell Street. It would include a lift and plant room, open plan kitchen, dining room and lounge with full length balcony and three bedrooms all with ensuite bathrooms as well as a study and utility room. It will be built on a patch of overgrown garden in Witch Elm Close but access to the new house and driveway would be via London Road and it would include parking for two vehicles. However... Neighbours have expressed their displeasure at the proposed plans as part of the official construction before planning permission is decided. Sue Louder of 200 London Road said, I wish to strongly object to this proposal as the dwelling access will be sited on an already congested road very close to pedestrian crossing which was put in place for safety reasons. This access will be compromised at a number of busy times during the day and will most certainly lead to obstruction of the footpath, which is used extensively by school children and college students. Furthermore, impaired observation of the road when turning right due to this congestion must be considered a potential safety issue. A previous application was submitted on March 17, 2021 and was subsequently withdrawn in June 2021 following objections. The new application states it has been altered in response to previous concerns. Worcester City Councillor Lynn Denham also expressed her concerns. 
I share the concern expressed by highways and many of the neighbours. Access to the property from London Road as a main road will be problematic, she said. The closing date for comments is January the 8th, 2022. And now two short articles about the River Severn. First of all, swans tuck in to big Christmas feed. A festive tradition has been able to go ahead on the banks of the Severn in Worcestershire, despite an outbreak of bird flu weeks earlier. The big Christmas swan feed took place on Boxing Day and on Tuesday, December the 28th, with a third event happening today, New Year's Day, at 2pm. A good crowd turned out on both days and enjoyed feeding the swans with floating pellets provided by the Swan Food Project. The Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Stephen Hodgson, and Mayoress, Councillor Lucy Hodgson, joined in on Boxing Day when a good number of swans were fed under grey skies. Brighter weather greeted volunteers on Tuesday, December the 28th, and high water brought the swans closer to the feeders than usual. And the second article also to do with the seven, River Debris Work Starts. Work to remove blockages caused by flooding in the county's rivers and waterways is set to get underway. Three flood alerts had previously been in place for Bow and Piddlebrook, the River Solwarp and the Severn as rainfall had caused water levels to rise over the past few days. On Monday, the Severn had almost come up level with the footpath in Clave Walk as residents were told to be prepared for flooding. Subsequently, debris, including branches, sticks and silt, was washed into the water, causing blockages to form against bridges in the affected rivers and watercourses, including large formations in the arches of Worcester Bridge. However, the Council says it is working with officers from the Environment Agency and Canal and River Trust swiftly to remove the obstructions. A spokesman for Worcestershire County Council said, We're monitoring the situation with debris in rivers and watercourses against our bridges, particularly at Worcester, Poick and Bewdley. We're discussing with our partners at the Environment Agency and Canal and River Trust with a view to removing this as soon as possible. Meanwhile, the last remaining flood warning for the Severn has been removed as water levels have dropped below the flood risk threshold. The Environment Agency has said the New Street flood gate in Upton-on-Severn, which has been closed for the past few days due to flooding, is due to be reopened this afternoon. An update on the GovUK website said, River levels have now fallen below the flood risk threshold. We will continue to monitor the forecast and reissue this alert if necessary. Further rainfall is forecast over the next 24 hours. The new street floodgate in Upton Pond 7 will be open this afternoon. We continue to monitor the situation. Our incidents response staff are checking the condition of defences. Please avoid using low-lying footpaths near local watercourses. Well now, we've reached the end of this recorded edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper. Uh, my thanks go to Moira and to John for reading and recording. 
and to Carol Hartle for leading the admin provision. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll be back for more next time. So best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. Bye. And now for the obituaries. Brian Whitby passed away peacefully on the 18th of December 2021, aged 78 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 11th of January at 11.30am. No flowers by request. Michael Charles Powell retired headmaster of Elgar High School and former deputy head of Samuel Southall School. Passed away peacefully on the 22nd of December 2021, aged 90 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 10th of January at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. Barbara Richards Passed away peacefully after a short illness at Worcester Royal Hospital, aged 87 years. The funeral service has taken place. Mary Ann Handy. Passed away peacefully at home on the 18th of December 2021, aged 71 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 10th of January at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please. Molly Cowley of Flyford Flavel passed away peacefully at Stonebow House Residential Home on Wednesday December the 22nd, aged 101. A funeral service will take place at the Church of St Peter, Flyford Flavel, on Tuesday, January the 11th at 2pm, followed by a burial. Family flowers only, please. David John Ray. With great sadness, I announce the death of my dear husband David at home, with his family beside him at the age of 83. A celebration of his life will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, 13th of January at 1pm and later at the Talbot Hotel Nightwick, where all are welcome. Family flowers only, please. Muriel Yates passed away peacefully at Juniper House on 29th of December, aged 99 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 20th of January at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. <laughs>